I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans this morning. We'll be in the 14th chapter. Romans 14, the first 12 verses. We'll get to that in a minute. In communication, we are taught that using the words always and never are rarely helpful in our conversations with one another, especially when we're arguing with someone. If we say, you never call me, or you're always working, it puts the other person on the defensive. The second we use an absolute, it shuts down the conversation, as well as the person with whom we are speaking. This can be a challenging skill to learn in life, especially when we're young and have limited tools, but quite a lot of certainty. When Mark and I were first married, (laughs) we were settling in rather nicely until we hit a major roadblock. We couldn't seem to navigate around it no matter how hard we tried, so we did what so many do, and we went to go see Pastor Denny. So he had us sit facing one another so we could share how we were feeling in an effort to listen to one another. He told me I could start, since I was the one with the greater problem, I think. So I said with great conviction to Mark, I feel like you are always such a jerk. (laughs) A bit startled, uh, Denny told me that my statement was actually judgment and not an emotion. (laughs) What are you talking about? I was pretty sure that that summed up exactly how I was feeling at the moment. I was so ready for Mark to get it from the pastor (laughs) that it didn't even occur to me to be embarrassed. Yeah. Good times. (laughs) Did you see one of the quotes on the front of the bulletin this morning? When you judge others, you do not define them. You define yourself. In our reading today, Paul is talking to the church about how they should not judge one another. There are two groups that have been going at it over issues that are not eternal. They're not related to salvation, but both sides are entrenched in making the other wrong about it. So Paul, the pastor, has decided to step in to give some much-needed counsel with the hope of mediating the struggle. While we're unsure about all that is happening, it almost feels like both groups have been complaining about the other which we know only serves to exacerbate the issues, not solve them. As the people of God, we recognize this struggle, even if we can't identify so much with the specifics in the conflict. We understand the ways that we can easily come to a place of feeling justifiably superior with other people. Today, if you find yourself in that situation, Paul has some words for you. So let's read from God's word from the book of Romans, chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. I will read. Welcome those who are weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they will stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. 
Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. And those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they both give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, please illuminate your word for us today and help us, God, to not be defensive with you because you are always gracious and kind to us. Amen. In the previous chapters, Paul has been emphasizing the importance of love in the church. He's been telling them why they must love both enemy and neighbor alike. Here he begins a section on what it means to live very practically. And in a shrewd move, he does so by using a situation going on in real time for them. Paul does an interesting thing. He labels one group weak and the other group strong. While this shows his bias, the labels help us to sort out what is happening. The weak here are Christians who are still vigilant to keep the dietary laws as well as marking the special celebrations of the Jewish faith. Paul labels them as such because they are not fully yet free in Christ. They are still bound in varying degrees to practices which presumably they believe God will honor perhaps honor them more for keeping. Those whom Paul calls the strong are those who see no need for any of that now that they know Christ. The problem is not that one side wanted to keep the traditions and the other did not. The problem is how they were treating one another in it. The truth is those who trust in Jesus for salvation have a lot of freedom to exercise that worship in the way that they see fit. But since these two factions were causing problems in the church with their disagreements, Paul needed to step in. In an ironic twist, Paul tells them to ease up on how absolutely correct they think they are while giving them three absolutes to hold on to. It's almost as though he knows they need some certainty with how to live. So he gives them three strong standards to live by that will hopefully help them move past this. There are issues here, what food can be eaten or what days are celebrated as holy, that Paul is indicating are peripheral to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that are peripheral to knowing Jesus, yet how Christians treat one another in his church, is the core of what Jesus taught us. So the three absolutes he gives them are, stop judging, live your convictions fully, and everyone is going to stand before the Lord. So the first absolute Paul tells them is that they have to stop judging. We find this in verses 1 through 4. 
he begins by addressing those he calls strong. He says, welcome the weak into your fellowship, but not for the purpose of fighting with them, not for the purpose of forwarding your own agenda. He explains to them that it's okay if people want to only eat vegetables. It's fine if people want to eat whatever is put before them because God welcomes each one. The idea here is about acceptance. In the church, we are meant to give wide leeway for behaviors that aren't sinful. To judge someone when they're doing something differently than us, to react to them like they're wrong, doesn't demonstrate love. It sounds as though those who are holding on to the Jewish faith are being invited just so that they can be told, hey, that's a bad idea. Why are you doing that? Sadly, this is how many have experienced the church throughout the ages. Because judging is a major problem for us. We come by it so naturally, we sometimes don't even know that we're doing it. It's become second nature to the world around us. And we literally have to check our attitudes every day to see if we're honoring God with our thoughts and our speech about others. How do you judge people in your life? What are you feeling kind of judgy about right now? Every day we have to decide how we're going to live and if we're going to comment on someone else's life. A few years ago, my friend Carrie Savota and I went grocery shopping. <laughs> She's laughing because she knows what's coming. It was a big run, and so we went along, and I was, like, tossing stuff into the cart. I was, like, on a mission. That's how I grocery shop. I'm like, let's get it done and get out of here. So the more it, the cart got full, I had no idea how irritated she was with me. Finally, she couldn't stand it anymore, and she goes, you are making me crazy. Do you see how you're filling this cart? So she starts taking out items and organizing them very neatly so that nothing gets squished. And to this day, every time I go shopping, I think about her. I didn't even know that that was a thing. <laughs> now, this is a light example. But we all understand being judgmental. All of us can think about situations that we've been in where someone's words corrected us in a way that was really more about them than it was about us. How about when it comes to our faith? How is it that we come alongside those that we disagree with, those who are weaker in the faith? Do we do so so that we can change their mind? Or do we seek to know them more? Do we seek to know where they're coming from? Do we seek to find the spirit in their actions when we diverge about issues of faith with someone that aren't sinful, how do we respond? With love or with judgment? We always have to be careful to couch our opinions as optional, not as key to the faith. Sometimes if we say, I don't know how anybody can be a Christian and blank, or worse, you can be a Christian and do that. We're not talking here about sin. We're talking about lifestyle choices that aren't going to lead to death. We have to be careful because those judgments last in our head for a long time. Sometimes I still hear Carrie in my head when I go to Vaughn's. <laughs> telling me how to organize my cart. But worst of all, sometimes I hear people who've treated me with great judgment in the church. 
when I was trying my hardest to do what was right before the Lord. Being judged impedes our walk with God. It causes bitterness. It breaks relationship. Look at what Paul says in verse 4. He says, who are you? Literally, what he's saying is, who do you think you are to pass judgment on the servants of one another? That's the key point here. The Lord is the one to whom all Christians belong. We're surrendered to him, and we serve him alone. He deals with the immaturity in our lives. He deals with our incomplete knowledge of how it is that we do life. When you go to someone else's place of work, you don't bring correction to an employee like you're their boss. You allow the supervisor to do it. God is in charge of who we are. The good news about that is that we answer to a loving God whose motive isn't about being better than we are, although he is. So when we judge, we supplant God's lordship in the lives of other believers. That's not our role. Our goal is to accept one another as we find our freedom in everyday matters of faith. Paul's second absolute is that each person needs to be certain of their convictions. We see this in verses 5 through 9. Paul is saying we should know why we believe what we believe and then confidently act on it. Our actions should not be guided by social convention or peer pressure within the church, but rather by how Jesus is revealing himself to us. Christianity is not a one-size-fits-all. We can't standardize personal religious preferences for everyone. The only caveat Paul gives is that in how we live, we need to make sure we are honoring the Lord. If we observe certain days or eat certain foods, then do it with thanks and worship to God, knowing that how we experience him is varied. Paul's idea here is quite individual to our relationship with Jesus. Some people feel strongly about the ways that they live because it's tied in with how God has asked them to be a witness. I know some of you don't do certain things that aren't wrong or sinful because you don't want to be a bad witness because the Lord has told you that is not okay for you. But you can't then take that to someone else and say, hey, huh, you can't do that because I'm not doing it because you're not the standard for life. Jesus was brilliant in this. He came to reach sinners, so he ate dinner with them. He talked to them at every opportunity. He asked everybody to follow him. He went beyond the scope of what was okay for his religious community. He healed on the Sabbath and encouraged women to learn. He was criticized because he didn't abstain or observe the way the majority did. Those who judged him were more concerned with looking good to others instead of helping those who had lost their way with God. When we're busy finding out what is wrong with our brothers and sisters, we stop honoring God. We stop inviting them to know him. So if God is telling each of us to observe in some ways or abstain in others, we have to listen because all of us are learning what it means to trust the Lord condemning one another when we could be affirming how we're trying to honor the Lord in our own walk with him is wrong. Paul tells us in verse 6 that when people are acting with sincerity to God and a deep desire to please him, that's okay. In this passage, Paul uses the word Lord 10 times. Only God has the right to dictate 
what we do. This requires a strong connection with him. This isn't something we can just slide through life about. We have to listen. We have to spend time and know him and have a heart that wants to put him at the center. It means we stop worrying about pleasing others and focus in on pleasing God. In verse 9, we're reminded that Christ died and lived again so he might be the Lord of all. So we have to be mindful of what it is for all of us that the Lord wants us to be mindful of. What is part of your own faith journey today where the Lord is saying, you know, that thing you're doing, you might want to stay away from that because it's taking you away from me. There might be places where he wants you to engage more. He might want you to do more of something. What is that? We have to listen and not look around to what other people are doing. We have to look up to who God is. Paul's last absolute is that everyone is going to be judged on the last day. This is found in verses 10 and 11. Each of us are going to stand before God. Each of us fall short of his glory. This is where everyone's constructs in this life are going to fall apart. To both groups, Paul gives a clear message. Those who are counting all the wrongs done, those who despise other believers because of what they are doing will one day be standing shoulder to shoulder with them in front of the Lord God Almighty. What makes us holy? Not our actions, not our attitudes. It's the sacrifice of Jesus that makes us holy. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us right before him how we surrender to him. Paul is quoting here a passage from Isaiah 45. The context of this passage is all about the Lord's sovereignty. And it's helpful to hear the verses before and the verse after it. So listen to all three together. I am God and there is no other. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. The picture Paul is giving is one of might and victory where our personal opinions about other people's faith walk is going to have no place. One day, we will be unified in our posture before the Lord. We don't have to figure out who has the best practices. That is God's job. Paul is giving exhortation that the church might have unity now so that later we might be ready. In that day, how we have treated one another in the church as people of faith will be counted for or against us. The Lord will decide if our bended knee matches the posture of our hearts. He will speak to us about the ways that we respected one another and the ways that we ceased to treat one another as made in the image of God. We are not called to simply tolerate one another. We are called to love each other no matter what. So today, we have to ask how it is that we are respecting other Christians, people who are in different streams of the faith, people who are different than we are. How have we welcomed other believers so on the day when we are called to account, we might find favor with the Lord Almighty? 
Paul says, the strong may not despise the weak, and the weak must not condemn the strong. How can we now try to see others how God sees them? We were at conference this week, as I told you to please pray for us. We were in L.A. One of the speakers said, yeah, I want you to start praying for the people who, um, when you see them, you go the other way. The people you avoid. Someone's walking down and you're like, I'm going to go that way. I don't really want to see them. He goes, start praying for them. And the Lord is going to continue to put them in your life because he wants you to learn how to love. We don't just love those who love us. We love those, our neighbors and our enemies, as Paul says, as the Lord asks us to. We have to be very careful to not reject a person that God has welcomed into his family and to treat everyone as worthy of love, especially when they choose different ways to honor the Lord than we do. Some of us have lost respect for our brothers and sisters based on differences found outside the church, allowing preferences and attitudes from our culture to be more important than their walk with Jesus. Paul says this cannot be. So our biggest takeaway from this passage, of course, is that we must absolutely always choose to love each other. Being right feels good, except when it dishonors the person that you're called to care about who is sitting right in front of you. God's love allows you allows us to work through our differences in a way that is constructive, where both parties are changed by his power because he is the standard by which we live. So where are you in the three absolutes that Paul gives us today? Where is it that you need to stop judging other Christians? They have a God who is helping them. Are you clear in what you believe so that you know how to navigate through the places where you are weak? Do you know the places where you can live with great certainty and assurance? In all your actions, are you honoring the Lord? Are you ready to meet Jesus face to face, knowing that that is not going to be a place of expressing your opinion about how other people have lived, but a place of accountability and great grace? Paul knew the differences are good because they create difficulties that help us learn how to love. So this morning, may we humbly come before God, asking him to show us where it is that he wants to give us his grace and correction. And let's continue to have strong bonds and continue to work through our differences with Christ's love, listening and growing together. Let's pray.